0: Uh, Turn to John chapter five. We're leading up to Easter. I want to look at some crossroads, some places where people encountered the Master Jesus while he was on his way to the cross. As we've been saying, uh, Jesus never forgot. You know, it's easy to you know miss the, the the little people and the little picture for the big picture. The big picture was the cross: die for humanity's sins. But along the way, Jesus encountered many people, and uh, whenever his life intersected with somebody else's, it always brought them to a crossroads where they had to make decisions. Uh, Jesus always knew his destination was the cross, and he never lost sight of that, and that's really what we're going to talk about for a few weeks. And It's always interesting how some people respond and some don't, some last, some don't, some stay the same. Some people get into a rut. Have you never noticed that? Some don't. Someone defined a rut as this way, that it's simply a grave with both ends knocked out. You know, you just get there and you're settled and you're set. Today I want to look at a guy that that, that really got into a rut. Now let me give you a little background. I want to talk about Jesus just for a moment as you read this. The Apostle John, we're going to be in John chapter 5. The, the Apostle John he narrates this story, and he charts the movements of Jesus, the Son of God, uh, in, in, in his gospel. He writes a little bit differently than the other, one, than the other gospel writers. Mark wrote uh, to the Romans, so it was quick, and, and it was lacked detail. It was all about movement and action. The Apostle John, now, who was very close to Jesus, he writes in a very philosophical manner. And so he talks about Jesus in a whole different way and, and gets into a lot of philosophy. And, and so we, we're going to see today something that I think is kind of interesting. If you read in John chapter 2, most of us have heard about this thing called the the, the the wedding at Cana of Galilee where Jesus turns water into wine. So he heads north into Cana. And then he goes over to Capernaum, which is northeast. spends some time there. Then in John 3, he heads south to Jerusalem, probably for the Passover celebration. And he has another encounter with this man by the name of, it's a Pharisee, by the name of Nicodemus. And Nicodemus, because of his high prestige with the Pharisees, he meets with Jesus at night so as not to be found out. Because by this time, there was already beginning to be a little bit of a concern about Jesus with the Pharisees. That maybe he was kind of crowding out their religious business. So he heads south to Jerusalem. Then in John 4, he starts heading north again, and he's going to Samaria to minister, and he goes through Samaria, it says, because he just feels this divine direction, and he ministers to a woman at the well in Samaria. And then he goes further north again to Cana of Galilee, the region of Galilee. And then the passage that we come to today is John chapter 5. So he goes from Cana of Galilee back to Jerusalem to intersect with this man and to bring wholeness to his life. We say, okay, well, what's this all about? It's, It's more than a geography lesson, I believe. I want you to see something about the life of Jesus. He heads north. He heads south. He heads east and he comes back south again. And then he goes back north. I mean, it's almost like you're thinking, Jesus, listen, couldn't you chart a little better course and, and, and be a little more practical in the way that you do your travel? You know, you traveling. And this is what I think is so important Jesus doesn't always do what is logical or logistically in order. Jesus is not bound to do what is the sensible thing and to operate in prescribed practical ways. And I think this is probably the key, one of the key challenges that we never want to forget. He's not bound by man's way. If you want to follow Jesus, if you really want to be a disciple, we have a lot of you here today that you've signed on. You said, I'm going I'm to be a follower of Christ. Maybe some of you here today, you're simply kicking the tires of faith. You're trying to get into your mind and wrap your mind around this thing called faith in this man, Jesus. Tell you what you're going to get from him. If you demand a Savior who stays in this nice little box, in this nice little compartment, who always colors inside the line, who does the reasonable, who does the respectable, who does the sensible, the economic thing, it'll be difficult for you. It will not be comfortable for you to be in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Over the years, and I've just seen it even more so in recent months, he is not bound to our way of thinking or our way of experience. The real Jesus, he is loving, and he is ministering and ministry-oriented, but he will refuse to be put in a container so that we, the church or people, can pick him up and carry him around. His agenda seldom matches ours. Christianity is not about us. It's not about our dreams. It's not about our ambitions. It's not about our desires, where we want to go, what we want to do with our life. Hear me, loved ones. It's all about Jesus Christ. Western Christianity has a focus on doing and being. True Christianity has a focus on Jesus, not us. And for so many of us, that can be really a difficult thing because we really believe that our Americano Christianity with our American dreams and everything, that we really begin to think that Jesus is like this Aladdin's lamp or this genie that we can just kind of rub, and whatever we want, we tell him, and we get it. And that's why, that's why I believe so many Christ followers start but never finish get into it, but live with disappointment because they have such expectations of Jesus and it really is a lot of times promoted by the TV people that says Jesus will give you what you want, just come to him and that's not true. So let me give you the setting a little bit more here in John 5 now. There's a lot of red ink as you get about halfway through because Jesus is making statements about his ministry and it's important to see what he's saying Because from John 5 on, you're going to begin to see these head-on collisions with the religious people. And Jesus is going to begin to say some difficult things to those who believe, and he's going to say some really difficult things to those who are confronting him. I think it's important, I, I want you to know, it doesn't matter how long you have walked with Jesus, how well you think you know him if you ever come to the place in your relationship where he's no longer saying some difficult things to you, I, I, I want you to consider, am I really hearing the real Jesus? Because that's what Jesus does. He wants to shake you up. He wants to move you in different directions. He always will be challenging you in ways. I remember when I, when I played basketball, I had a lot of coaches and there's coaches that were really easy for me to tune out because, frankly, I don't think they even knew as much as I did about basketball. I listened to them, but not real closely. And then there's other coaches who pushed me to the max. They told me, they, I mean, they yelled, Riley, how can you be such a fool? What a, you know, I mean, they just get on me and ride me like a horse. And, and at the time, I didn't necessarily like it until I began to understand something. I had one coach who'd yell at me all the time, and he'd make me stay after practice. Riley, you only got six out of ten free throws that last game. You stank. And so he'd make me shoot 50. And I used to kind of resent that until I understood. You know what that meant? That he really liked me. Or it made not like me, but he liked that I could play. And, and, and there's something about Jesus. If you, start if you, if you stop hearing his voice be concerned. Not that he's left you, but you've begun to move away from him because that's what Jesus does. He loves you and will always challenge you in becoming more like him. The Jesus of the New Testament will always be speaking fresh things. He'll come to your life to rearrange the furniture of your heart and your interior life. He will make in-course corrections for you. He will disturb your personal status quo. That many times, and that's whether you've been walking with him for a week or 20 years. Because see, Jesus is, 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 that's what I love about the gospel of John, is John just makes it so clear as he goes through. Jesus always transcends the products of religion, the rules, the regulations that man imposes from the outside, there's a lot of things we do, loved ones, to help grow in the life of Christ and for his life to become part of ours. Read the Bible, pray, serve, give. Those are all good, those are all very important. But I want to tell you there are no shortcuts to growing into the life of Christ. I'm not talking about religion, but to really grow in Jesus, there are no shortcuts. And in growing in Jesus, it is always bigger than just simply the things that we do, it's part of the process that we want to grow in relationship to him. Not even just Creekside Church. Not religion, but to really know and hear Jesus for your life. This story that we're going to read today begs to be studied comprehensively because there's so much There's so much theology within just this one little story of this encounter that Jesus has with this sick man. But I'm just going to hit a couple of high points here and, and talk about what do you, you know? What do you do, kind of, when you get in a rut? Because this guy's in a rut. He's been in a rut of sickness for 38 years. So let's pick it up in John chapter five, verse one. It says, after this, <clears throat> after Jesus has now uh, healed some people, met with a woman in Samaria. After this, a Jewish festival took place, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. You'll notice the Bible always says goes up to Jerusalem. It doesn't matter if you're south, north, east, or west. You always go up to Jerusalem because that for them was where the presence of God was. And they went to worship. It says, by the sheep gate in Jerusalem, there is a pool. What's interesting here is the, the sheep gate, um, it's where they would bring the sheep in for sacrifice. So this was a highly religious area. This is all taking place now in the shadow of the temple. It says there's this pool. It was called Bethesda in Hebrew, which has five colonnades. Now, interestingly enough, a lot in, in, before the 19th century, they really didn't know if this existed because they couldn't find it. Archaeologists then begin to discover, uh, do some digging, and they actually found what looked like this pool. Uh, this big pool. It was probably about 300, they say probably 315 feet long. So just a little bit longer than a football field, but about 200 feet wide, which would have been about four four widths of a football field wide. So this was a pretty big area that we're talking about. So it says, within these lay a multitude, many of the sick, blind, lame, and the paralyzed. They were waiting for the moving of the waters because the angel would go down into the pool from time to time and stir up the water. But they found out again in research is, over, is that really it wasn't uh, an angel doing that. It was kind of a superstition, but this was built on a, uh, on a stream. Uh, on a living spring water and so it would bubble up and that's what caused the bubbles to come forth but it became very superstitious for these people they said that after they saw the bubbles the first one once the waters were stirred the first one in would recover from whatever ailment he had verse 5 says one man was there who had been sick for 38 years when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he'd already been there a long time Jesus walks up to this guy. Jesus comes up with great questions. This is what he says. Do you want to get well? That's a big question. Notice the guy's response. Sir, the sick man answered, I don't don't have a man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But but, but while I'm coming, as I get up and try, someone always goes down ahead of me. And then Jesus says, get up. Get up. Pick up your bedroll and walk. Instantly, the man got well. He picked up his bedroll and he started to walk. Now, that day was the Sabbath. See, we're living in the shadow of the temple. Temple. This is the Sabbath day where you couldn't do anything. Uh, God said to honor it. And then the, 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 the scribes and the Pharisees and the people of the uh, old days that grew up with this law started adding all of these laws and all of these things that people could and couldn't do that weren't God's word. It wasn't God's rules, but it was simply the traditions of man. So Jesus says, get up. Pick up your bedroll and walk. Well, instantly the man got well, and he picked up his bedroll, and he started to walk. Now, that was the Sabbath. So the Jews, probably the religious leaders around there, said to the man who had been healed, this is the Sabbath. It's illegal for you to pick up your bedroll. Why? Because that would have been considered work. He replied, the man who made me well told me, pick up your bedroll and walk. See, Jesus doesn't always do what people do and expect of him. Well, who is this man? Who told you? Pick up your bedroll and walk, they asked. But the man who was cured didn't even know who it was because Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. After this, Jesus found him in the temple complex and he said to him, See, you are well. Do not sin anymore so that something worse doesn't happen to you. The man went and reported to the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. Therefore, the Jews begin persecuting Jesus. This is really where the attacks on Jesus starts in the Gospel of John. Why do they attack him? Because he was doing things on the Sabbath. Isn't that amazing that he worked, quote, worked to heal a man, and now they're going to attack him for that. But Jesus responded to them, My father is still working, and I am working also. This is why the Jews began trying all the more to kill Jesus. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making him equal with God. And notice what Jesus says here. Jesus replied, I assure you, the son is not able to do anything of his own, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, the son also does these things in the same way. But the father loves the son and shows him everything he is doing, and he will show him greater works, than these, that you will also be amazed. I want you to see a few things here that Jesus didn't do. And number one, Jesus doesn't heal everybody. It's important to see, friends, in this graphic scene, this is more like a battleground, it's, like, it's just strewn with wounded bodies. It's filled with the lame and the sick and the paralyzed and the impotent. They're all gathered there, laying around, just waiting superstitiously for the waters to kind of begin to bubble or to move. Don't know where this man came from, where he was, but at some point, Jesus enters this football field-sized pool, and and you got to see this, there's there's a lot of, there's got to be some some pathos, some some emotion that's taking place here. Because all of a sudden, Jesus just begins working through the crowd. Imagine all these people that are sick. They're lame. They're blind. They can't get up. They can't move. And Jesus just passes over them. And and, and then all of a sudden, he comes to this one man. He heals one man. I don't know about you, that kind of, that kind of Why is that, Jesus? What do you you mean, PT? Uh, See, it's easy to become victimized, loved ones, by evangelical Christian formulas. Our cultural Christianity that simply isn't biblical, if not stated, probably some in this room, at times we've been motivated by that, that Christian understanding. There's a very important formula here that is true. See, we listen to people, well, if you just do these 10 things of faith, this is going to happen. And I'm I'm sorry, but that's not true. There's no there's not many formulas for Christianity except be obedient and love Jesus. But here is a formula that fits here. Needs plus resources or opportunity doesn't always mean God's will. What are you saying? Well, just because there's an opportunity, just because there's a need, or just because you have resources does not necessarily mean you're supposed to do this, that, or the other. See, Jesus could have touched all of these people. He could have healed them. Literally, remember Jesus, if we understand Genesis, the Genesis narrative, he speaks the world into existence, doesn't he? Hebrews 1 tells us that the world is framed. It's held into existence by his very word. So if that's true... This creative God who holds everything in place probably could have walked through this crowd and just simply said, be healed, be healed, be healed, be healed. healed." But he doesn't. Out of multitudes of people, he chooses this one man and only one. See, it's so easy for us loved ones to live under this unhealthy and really unholy obligation to address every need and problem that we see or face. This is what I've taken me some time to learn. I'm not the answer to every issue. You're not the answer to every issue that people face. Guess what? We're not the answer to every issue that people have. You know, we do a single mother's outreach, and what do people say? Well, what about the single fathers? What about the seniors? What about the down and out? What about the poor? What about the homeless? Do you see where I'm going with this? See, pretty soon, you can just stretch yourself so thin that you're no good for anybody. And see, Jesus didn't heal everybody even though he could have. And I think as much as anything, he's showing us that, you know what? You are not responsible for everything and everybody. Paul said it this way in, first, in 2 Corinthians 10, 13. He's writing to the church at Corinth, and he says, listen, I have boundaries for my life. They are God-ordained boundaries. And I am going to live within them. And I'm not going to extend myself beyond them. And that's one of the things at Creekside we want to make sure that we do. We do a lot for our community. But we want to live into the, within the boundaries to the best of our ability of what God calls us to do. Now, this is where the, 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 gets, the rub gets kind of uh, hard. Because... There are a lot of people who will take what I just said and will do nothing. Well, PT, you heard him. Oh, you see Jesus right there. I mean, just one person. I mean, for golly sakes, we're not going to do you know, I, I'm just, that's. I'm just doing what I can do. Well, Paul, he said this a little bit later in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 15. He says, I will gladly spend and be spent for you. That's that's two chapters after he has just said, I am going to live within the boundaries of what God has set for me. I'm not going to extend myself beyond those ministry boundaries. What's the key? Move by assignment. Let, Let Jesus set your agenda. Keep your heart open to what he would speak to you so that as you walk through, go through life, you can go, I think God wants me to touch this person, give to that person, speak to this person, minister to that person. Every need is not your call to meet. Jesus didn't heal everybody. Secondly, Jesus didn't make a spectacle of the supernatural. Jesus shows up, but he doesn't come with an entourage. You notice that? He's not making a big display. You know, can you just imagine him walking through with uh, some of the disciples and just kind of going through and walking around and, hey, look at these folks over here. What do you think? Disciples heal them? Nah, let's keep going. He just doesn't make a big deal. He just walks through, touches that man again. And then it says that he slipped away. It's almost like this understanding. There's, there's no recognition of him leaving. It's not like what we do today, is it? Again, I, I I don't have a lot of hobby horses, but I suppose Christian TV is one of them. But what do they do? Man, if something happens, videotape. You know, let's call CBN, let's call Trinity Broadcasting, let's call the Jerusalem Gazette, let's, let's make front-page news. See, Jesus doesn't do that. He doesn't call the cameras in. He doesn't call the people in. He just heals, touches, slips away. Sometimes even people say to me, well, PT, why don't we, uh, you know, why don't we have the Gazettecom or the Contra Costa? You know what? I, I just want Jesus to do his work. I'm, we're not doing it for self-promotion. We're just doing it to touch people who God gives us the ability to touch. This is what I see about ministries The ones that become very prominent and the ones that become out there, it's amazing how quickly they fade and you no longer see them anymore. The supernatural loved ones is needed for our lives, but we're not going to market it and we're not going to build ministries around it. Jesus, it says, just slipped away. The third thing Jesus didn't do is he didn't act on his own authority. This guy is healed. And people start complaining. Can you believe it? They start complaining because Jesus did it on the Sabbath, and now the guy's carrying his mat. They're not impressed by the fact. They're not moved by the fact that all of a sudden this guy can finally walk for the first time in his life. No, their religion is more important than a relationship of a man relating to Jesus Christ and the simple fact that he's been healed. And the big question that so many people ask, obviously, about this text that you may be asking is, why would Jesus just do one man? Here's the best answer, and it's found in the Word. Verse 19, what does it say? Jesus replied, and he said, I assure you, the Son of Man is not able to do anything on his own only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son also does these things in the same way. Jesus was always in relationship to his Father, submitted to him, cooperated with him. And, 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 and that's what's so. He's, he's the creator of the universe, loved ones yet he is totally submitted under his father's authority. The reason, you know why Jesus got away so often, you read it in the Gospels, you know why he got away so often? is because he wanted to hear his father. So that when he comes to situations like this, he knows what to do. He says, I'm gonna set my life up on the agenda of my father. What are some things that Jesus did do? I want you to note this. Jesus saw the individual. It's really easy to to get into a rut, isn't it? And we soon live below God's kind of intended purposes for our lives where we're never moving forward in the practical or spiritual areas. We just kind of go, ho hum. You know, what's going on with God? Where is He? God never moves. You do. We do. See, Jesus is there and He sees the individual. This is what I love. This wasn't just about some kind of big camp meeting or corporate gathering, even though there was a lot of people. But Jesus can always find the individual wherever he goes. Some of you here today, we're sitting here. We've got a little bit of a crowd. In this meeting time, Jesus can meet you wherever you need to be met. Wherever there's sickness, wherever there's blindness, wherever you're lame, wherever you're broken, wherever you're hurting, the Holy Spirit, that because we respond to Jesus, we have this Holy Spirit that comes and resides and lives within us, can meet you where you are, sitting at that little table today, challenge you, speak to you, comfort you, and, and yes, confront you. So Jesus connects with this man with the greatest need. You know what I love about this? This guy isn't even seeking Jesus, he doesn't even know who he is. But Jesus is on the road, and what's he doing? We read it last week, where he's seeking the lost. This man is as marginalized as you can be. And Jesus goes right after him. So Jesus connects with the one with the greatest need. Jesus confronts him with a question. What was the question? Do you want to get well? Doesn't that seem like a silly question? The guy's been the guy's been down thirty eight years. Do you want to get well? Most of us would go, Absolutely. Maybe. Seems obvious. You know what I've learned? Some people really don't want to get well. Some people really don't want to have to get well because you know what it means? It's going to change your life. When this man, down 38 years, if he gets well, he can't be a beggar anymore. He can't lay around. He can't make excuses. He's got to get up and he's got to do something. And a lot of people, if they don't, if they don't have this reason, if they get well, guess what? They'll no longer have anything to talk about. People won't pay attention to him. Notice His excuses. Well, you know, he doesn't say yes. All he does is give excuses. Well, no one will put me into the pool. That's his first excuse. The second one is, you know, people always beat me there. You know, they just, they're just going to get there before me. So this guy's in a rut. He's allowed his thinking to put him into this rut. And people today are in ruts. We all have our excuses. But I love how Jesus kind of hijacks them, takes them away. There's people that live in blindness. They're blinded to future hope. They've lost their perspective, and they've become farsighted to the future. There's a lot of lame people, people here that have been hurt. People walk with, they limp now really with trauma that's invaded their life, and, and this injury keeps them from moving forward personally, just practically in their life as well as in their spiritual life. There's people who are paralyzed by fear. They're pressing forward in Jesus and following him, and then stuff happens. and Now they begin to just kind of give up, and on the inside of their life, they just lay down. How many people do we know that have been emotionally crippled with personal condemnation? They've allowed the enemy of their soul to pull them down. People that live in this undertow of condemnation, and instead of confessing need and responding to the conviction of the Holy Spirit, That leads one to Jesus and not drives them away. This man needed his sins forgiven. How many of us live with unresolved conflicts? You've been hanging on to these for too long. You allow them to go underground, but ultimately they'll begin to erode and eat away at your soul. That's why almost at most memorial services now, I remind people, this is the day. This is a good reminder to set down the baggage, because you don't know what's going to happen next. And I I talk to a lot of people after services that tell me, you know, I just live with regrets because I didn't take care of this issue with that person. People live with self-pity and doubt. I think I said it last week or the week before that self-pity can become a narcotic. And it leads us to internalize anger, and soon we look to blame. And then we begin to lean into built-in excuses, and we're no longer moving forward in the spiritual life and walk with Jesus. So so what do you need to do today? What's something maybe you need to do today? It's important. If you want to get out of, of a rut, you're going to have to do something. Jesus has done everything Second Peter says that he has given us everything pertaining to life and godliness. And there's two extremes. There's the extreme that says God's got to do everything, but he's done everything that he needs to start with. And there's the other extreme that I've got to do everything. And somewhere in between there, there is a holy, healthy balance. Spiritually, physically, emotionally, what do you need to do? Because I think Jesus would ask us the same question. Do you want to get whole? And are you willing to lay aside your excuses? The first thing I do is I, I, I want to look to Jesus. I want to, I want to see him. I don't want to look to people. I don't want to look to different things. We, we look to relationships to fulfill and to make us happy. Those are good and they're needed, but they will never be your answer, loved ones. We look to circumstances. Uh, But these can also lead us to excuses. See, we're not trapped by our history, but we're always shaped by it and we're imprinted by it. But the scripture says in 2 Corinthians 5 that once you become in Christ, you become a new creature. Behold, all things passed away, things are becoming new. And that's the present reality that every one of us get to live in. But sometimes we get stuck because we're so tethered to our past, aren't we? Some years ago, I read an article. This is really good from... uh, Anybody ever heard of the periodical Ricky Ranger? If you have kids, you probably did. I grew up on it. And they were talking in this article about imprinting. Stick with me. This is important. This issue they were talking about was, will you become like that that you are around? And they use this example. Would a duck become like a dog if it spent all this time with a dog? This little duck is born, and then it kind of, it kind of, you know, is, is around this dog. And would it get imprinted like that? Would it begin to bark? Would it begin to walk like a dog and act like a dog? And so they did this study. What they realized that there's, there are some characteristics that can take place through the process of imprinting. <clears throat> and the reason that stuck out to me, because I was, I was still young, pretty young in the faith. And I thought, that's who I got to be. That's why I've got to be imprinted with Jesus. I want to be imprinted with his life. I want to be exposed to him. I want to begin to make sure that I'm always moving toward looking like him, talking like him, acting like him. And we've got to look to Jesus. That's what this guy does. He finally says, this is the one that can help me. The second thing is you've got to listen to Jesus. He speaks to this man, and he really doesn't give him any answers, does he? He doesn't ask about his condition. It says he knew. He doesn't even inquire about why he's there. He just simply asks him one question. Do you want to get well? And then Jesus says, get up. Pick up your bedroll and walk. Here's the point for me, loved ones. For you as well. Jesus speaks, and this is the question, will you cooperate with his word? See, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us to give us power and to empower us. The Holy Spirit in the original language is the word parakletos, which means one called alongside. He is the holy helper, not the holy doer. And too many Christians bank on simply expecting God to do everything for them when he says no. I want to know if you want to get well. And if you want to get well, then I'm going to tell you what to do. And now you're going to need to do it. You're going to need to step into it. You're going to need to get up. You're going to need to take some steps for the fullness of my healing to come about. You're going to need to hear and listen. So here's the question. Are you encountering the master? Are you encountering Jesus in your life now? Do you get up and spend a few minutes with him? At least three, four, five days a week where you're hearing his voice. Because if you will do that, he will give you direction. Get up, get up in the morning or before you go to bed at night. Hear his voice, because that's what Jesus says. The reason Jesus had such a powerful ministry is because he did what the Father was saying. So when I go through my day, Lord, what what is this a person you want me to touch? I always ask that now. I go by these people that, you know, you see them all the time out there asking for money. I say, Lord, is that somebody you want me to give some money to? I go into a counseling session. Lord, what do you want me to say? And you say, well, you're not very smart, are you? I says, no, I'm, I'm really not. And I really need Jesus to give me that. And, and you're probably thinking, well, what do you got? Like some kind of hotline? No, 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 I don't have that. I don't have a hotline to anything, but this is what I know. If I'm sitting in a counseling session, a lot of times God can just give me a word. And and I'll know, wow, I, I couldn't have thought of that. Sometimes it's just a word, it's a verse to share with somebody that breaks something in their life. Sometimes it's just a, a principle of life. Sometimes I'll meet somebody in the grocery store. They'll start talking to me about a need in their life. And I'll just... Put my, I said, Can I just put my hand on your shoulder? Can we just pray right here? That's not me. That's the Lord. And, and I want us to live as a church that does the same thing. Spend time with Jesus, get up with Him in the morning because He'll guide you. Listen to Him, listen to the Father.